Hey, good morning, TLC. Man, we got one more week left in the Future Fruit series, which means we only have one more week left to hear that song. Oh, such a bop. All right, anyway. Hey, I got a question for you guys this morning. I got a question. Any Matrix fans in the room? Red pill, blue pill, yeah, we love the Matrix. All right, so here's the deal. A little less than a year ago, uh, uh, there was a new Matrix movie that came out. It's kind of a reboot. It's called Matrix Resurrections. Man, somebody feels a certain kind of way. All right, here's the truth. Here's the truth. The reviews were kind of so-so because the movie was kind of so-so. All right, but the movie is not without some cool, awesome scenes. All right. One of the, my favorite scenes in the movie is this really cool, powerful scene where, uh, no spoilers here, okay, but it's towards the end of the movie and things are going horribly wrong and there's this crazy mission that needs to be accomplished so that the good people can beat the bad people and yada yada, right? You guys all get it, right? You've seen these movies, right? Okay, so in this scene, what happens is there's this general and she comes forward and she looks at her team of like 12 people or whatever and they're like her people. I don't know if they're pilots or whatever they are, you know, they're her, her team, okay? She comes to them, and she says, I have a mission. This mission is risky. This, mis- this mission will be challenging. For the people that will take it, you will be risking your lives. And she says, and I need two people to volunteer for this mission. And in this scene, in, the, in this Matrix movie, there's this line of 12 people, And before the general can even begin to explain what the mission is, she says, I need two people. And when she says, I need two people, this line of 12 people in complete sync, like they choreographed it or something, which they did because it's a movie, all 12 people, she says, I need two people, all of them step forward. Whoosh. And the general looks at these people and she says, what are you doing? Are you out of your minds? I haven't even explained what the mission is. And one of the people who's lined up, one of the 12, this guy speaks up, and he has like a Norwegian accent or something, because everybody has an accent in the Matrix, right? And uh, I'm not going to impersonate a Norwegian accent, by the way. For some of you, you were like getting really excited. Not going to do that this morning. Okay. But he speaks up, and he says, General, we know you. And if you say this is important, none of us are choosing to stay home. (laughs) Isn't that so awesome? Like some of you guys are so pumped. You're like, yo, plug me into the matrix right now, baby. Jack me in. I'm ready to go. Oh, it's so awesome. General, we know you. And if you say this is important, none of us are choosing to stay home. This corny scene reveals a powerful reality that I want us to consider this morning. Our willingness to accept a mission has everything to do with how we view the person giving it to us. Our willingness to accept a mission has everything to do with how we view the person giving it to us. Here's the deal. We've been spending the last few weeks in this series, Future Fruit, which explains the futuristic-looking banana on screen, okay? And future fruit is this invitation to join God in the work and the care and the sacrifice of today for the fruit of tomorrow. To plant trees that we may not sit under the shade of or eat the fruit from. Future fruit is really an invitation for our church. 
It's the season that we find ourselves in. It's the, the mission that we believe God has given us. It's the work and the direction we sense God is calling us into. And last week, Torin laid out some pretty significant stuff for our church for this year. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. Torin laid out something significant for our church this year, sort of a theme, a, a, a calling cry for our church this year, this idea of risking the talents. You see, Jesus told a parable about a master and some servants. And the entire parable was a lesson about how we, the way that we view God impacts the way that we live our lives and the, impacts the decisions that we make. Is our view of God one of scarcity or is our view of God one of abundance? Torin stated very clearly that we as individuals, that we together as a church, God has entrusted us with much. And so the question we find ourselves asking in this season is, how will we use the things that God has entrusted to us? Is our view of God one of scarcity or is our view of God one of abundance? And it's out of this question. It's out of this desire to shift more and more to a view of God that says God is an abundant God that we have arrived at sort of a goal. Our staff, our leadership team have arrived at a goal that we're going to chase after this year as a church, as a collection of individuals that we as a collection of individuals would each have grow in clarity on what our mission is individually, that we would know that we would gain more clarity on the people on the place, on the thing that God has called us to, our purpose, our mission, our calling. As we seek to, to shift our view of God as a scarce God to a God who is abundant, our hope is that at the end of this year that we would be like the 12 people in the matrix and we would be stepping forward and we would say, God, I know you. And if you say this is important, none of us are choosing to stay home. That that's the attitude that we would have towards our mission that God has given us as individuals and collectively as a church. Now here's the deal. Before I even jump in, I just want to establish something. I know that the idea of a purpose, of a calling, of a mission evokes a lot of different emotions for a lot of different people. There's some of us in the room, like we, we know our mission. When people mention it, we get excited, we get pumped, we're ready to share it with anybody who's willing to ask us. There's others of us who when we think about our mission, we think about the small insignificant thing that we believe God has called us to, and we don't really want to think about it. In fact, we'd rather, we'd rather actually shy away from it. It's too small, too insignificant, not interested. Some of us, we have no idea what our mission is, like at all. In fact, some of us may be like, this is like your first time at church, like ever, and you're like, mission stuff? Like, did I just like get into like Top Gun or something? Like, what's going on, right? Some of us, we may have been in church for a long time, and we've for a long time felt like we don't know our purpose. We don't know our calling. We don't know the mission that God has given us. And oftentimes, whenever it's mentioned, we're filled with anxiety or frustration. And then there's some of us who we just feel like this mission stuff, purpose, calling, whatever you want to call it, I tell you what it is, it's baloney. I said in first service, I've never felt older saying a sentence in my entire life. It's baloney. I feel like I'm in like the 20s, you know. Anyway, did they have balonies in the 20s? Baloney in the 20s? I don't know. Probably. It's been around forever. Um, anyway, we think like, ah, dude, this is a, this is a bunch of, ah, it's baloney. It's a joke. Wherever we're at this morning, I want us to consider something. That you were not created for your mission. Your mission was created for you. You were not created for your mission. 
your mission was created for you. Jesus said something very similar to this about something called the Sabbath. The Sabbath was and is a, a day that God gave his people a way to structure their, their days, their weeks, their months, their years, their lives. A way to carve out space to stop and rest and delight and contemplate God. And when Jesus was living, the Sabbath was something that evoked a lot of different emotions from a lot of different people. There were people who were so focused on following the rules of the Sabbath that they had missed the point entirely. There were people who probably felt like, ah, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do the Sabbath, so I'm just kind of kind of like step back. I don't really want to think about it. I don't really want to do it. There were some people who thought, ah, the Sabbath, bunch of baloney. And Jesus stepped into that moment, and he said something very similar to this idea about, I'm asking us to consider about our mission. He said about the Sabbath in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 2. He said that the Sabbath, was not, uh, the Sabbath was created for man, not man for the Sabbath. You see, similar to the Sabbath, like Jesus said, I believe our mission is a gift that God has given us. We weren't cooked up in a lab. God sent us to do a bunch of stuff. Our mission is a gift that God has given us to, so that we can experience more of the life that he desires for us. It is a gift, not a to-do list, all right? So as we begin this morning, I hope my prayer is that we, as we visualize, that we wouldn't visualize uh, God sort of unveiling this massive to-do list that we feel stressed about and burdened by, but that we would visualize the next 15 to 20 minutes as sort of an unwrapping of a gift. Who doesn't love to unwrap a gift, right? All right? So please, 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 wherever we're at this morning, whatever emotions are evoked by this idea of mission, calling, purpose, give the next like 15, 20 minutes a chance, all right? Thumbs up? All right, I got like 10 thumbs up, so I'm ready to go. Here we go. All right, so I want to unpack kind of three things this morning, all right? Three things. The first thing is God's mission. What is God's mission for his people? Seems like a good place to start. The second thing I want to do is kind of talk about how God's mission relates to your mission as an individual. How does God's mission relate to your mission? And then the third thing that I want to do is kind of clarify a little bit of what I just said, this idea that you weren't created for your mission, your mission was created for you. All right, I want to clarify. So let's start first with God's mission. Okay, let's start with God's mission. A good place to start is in the book of Matthew. So if you guys brought your Bibles, I would love for you to turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in chapter 28. That's uh, if you... Uh, uh, are looking in the book of Matthew, that's all the way at the very end. Uh, the, in the Bible, the book of Matthew is going to be about like this much, okay? Turn this much. If you don't have a Bible, you don't have your phone or whatever, we'll have it on the screen. And to set a little bit of context this morning, this reading from the book of Matthew is Jesus' final instructions. This book of Matthew is a story of the life and the ministry of Jesus. Jesus has lived, he's died, he's been resurrected, and here he finds himself one more time on a mountaintop with his disciples, giving some final instructions, and he says this, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them. And said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These instructions from Jesus are often referred to as the Great Commission. And they are referenced and circled around to a lot because... They should. 
This is Jesus' final instructions to his disciples and to the disciples' disciples and to the disciples' disciples and people like you and me. This is God's mission for his people, that we would go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey and live the way that Jesus lived and commanding them to do the things that Jesus commanded. This is God's mission for his people. But I think what's interesting is oftentimes uh, something that just gets overlooked is the actual impact that this had on the actual lives of the people who actually received this commission from Jesus. In other words, when Jesus gave this commission, what did the people who received it, who heard it, what did they go and do? How did it impact their lives? Well, I want to kind of explore that really quick with you this morning. I want to look at these 11 disciples and kind of what this commission from Jesus meant for their lives. Where did they go? What did they do? All right? So to, do that, to help us do that, I have a map, and I'm not going to show it to you yet because I'm a little embarrassed by this map. It looks like somebody produced it on, like, Microsoft Word, uh, Word Art in, like, 2001, okay? And they probably did, but it's the best map that I could find for our purposes, okay? All right, so we're kicking it back. I think the Matrix came out in 2001. So did this map, okay? All right, so here we go. Here we go. Hey, we're about the next generation, baby. Look at that graphic. Okay, all right, anyway. <laughs> All right, so here's the deal. We got these 11 disciples, right? And they end up going all over the place. Look, you can see, just to give a couple of, of examples, Peter, he began in Jerusalem, then he ends up, uh, he goes to Samaria, then he ends up in Rome. You'll see that John ended up uh, being exiled to an island called Patmos after ministering to some churches. Andrew uh, was a fisherman by trade. He sailed north to Scythia. You can see uh, there's a guy named James, uh, son of Alphaeus, who's referred to by scholars as the lesser James which is just a terrible way to refer to someone, the lesser James. I was thinking this week about poor lesser James, who, by the way, like, is believed to have written a book in the Bible, and he's still referred to as lesser James. Anyway, and I was thinking, there's a, a family at our church who had a baby girl, I think just under a year ago, and they named her Austin. And I was like, how many years until people start referring to me as the lesser Austin? <laughs> like, I'm just biding my time a few more years, and then people will be like, oh, lesser Austin, awesome, Okay. So anyway, James, son of Alphaeus, he was a missionary. He went uh, to, uh, he was in Jerusalem as a leader, wrote a letter that we'll be digging into later this fall. You'll see Thaddeus or Jude was a, uh, in the, uh, went east along with Thomas, Philip and Bartholomew. They went, uh, they went together, it's believed, uh, and they were in modern day Armenia. Simon the Zealot, we don't actually know a whole lot on, but it's believed that he also ended up in Egypt, all right? Now, a lot of this is being pulled from scripture as well as other ancient scholars that are doing their best. This is ancient history, all right? So this is our best guess uh, with varying levels of confidence and clarity. But I share all this. I rattle all of that information off to sum things up with this, okay? So let's do some quick maths, okay? Let's do some quick maths. When Jesus gave the Great Commission, you saw on the map there, the result was 11 people going to at least eight different places to engage with seven different groups of people to perform a variation of at least four different jobs to fulfill Uno commission, the great commission. Jesus gave 11 different people with 11 different experiences, 11 different backgrounds, 11 different passions and gifts and desires, one single commission, one mission, and the result was 11 different people living life on a mission, doing a different thing in a different place with different people. You see, the apostles, the life and the journey of the apostles reveal something really important that we just can't miss. 
You fulfill the great commission with a mission. I know. Earth-shattering stuff here this morning. I know. You fulfill the great commission with a mission. The life and the journey of the apostles reveal this. It's not just like a couple of people doing some really important stuff. The life and the journey of, of the apostles reveal that every single person has a role. And every single person has a mission that contributes to this great commission, to God's mission for his people. You fulfill the great commission with a mission. And this is where it kind of turns to this second thing I want to unpack with us this morning. This is God's mission for his church, right? But how does this larger mission, how does it relate to your mission? Well, I'll tell you. So John 17, 18, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to John 17. We'll have it on screen, but just not yet. Jesus makes, it was on air, whatever, it's fine. Uh, I'm the worst. The people that do slides probably hate me. Uh, anyway, this idea that we are sent, that we have a mission, that we're called to do something to, with a place, with a people, uh, something that we are supposed to do with our lives, isn't just like a, a nice little strategy that Jesus gave us. This is like what it means to be human. This is what it, part of what it means to be created by God. I'm not saying this. Jesus said this. He said it about himself. He said it about his disciples. He said it about us in a prayer in John chapter 17. So if you open your Bibles, now we can put it on the screen again. Sorry, uh, uh, sorry, Rachel in the back. Uh, so here's the deal. Jesus is praying this prayer in John 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. In other words, this is one of Jesus' last moments praying to God the Father, moments before his arrest, his trial, his murder. And he's praying to God the Father, uh, just conversing with him. He's praying for his immediate disciples. And then he even turns his attention to people who would come after them, people like you and people like me. And in John chapter 17, verse 18, Jesus prays this. This is part of a prayer. He says, he's speaking to God the Father. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Jesus says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Dr. Gary Burge, he's a, a leading scholar on the Gospel of John. He's also part of our teaching team, which is cool. He wrote a commentary on the Gospel of John, and he says that the significance of this portion of Jesus' prayer, the, the, the reason Jesus says this is so that the disciples, that they too should see their purposes for living as not their own, but shaped by the mission that God has for them. That the disciples would see their lives and their purpose as not their own, but shaped by the mission that God has for them. Now, although this part of the prayer, what we just read, was Jesus' prayer for his immediate disciples, it doesn't take like a rocket scientist to translate the significance of this reality, that Jesus was a sent one, and that his disciples were a sent one. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to translate the significance of this reality for you and I. Okay? Here's what I mean. Jesus, when he says, as you sent me, I have sent you, this is, a, this is uh, just like two seconds of like some language stuff, okay? He uses the Greek word apostolos. Everybody say apostolos. Now everyone say apostolos. Oh, we got like three people that were willing to do it. Everybody else is too cool for school, whatever. Apostolos. It's this Greek word that means to send someone with a specific task or a specific message, okay? So when you're in like third grade and you're feeling a certain way about that other person and you write on the little note and say like, do you like me? Circle yes or no. And then you give it to your friend and be like, go give it to that person. They become an apostolos, sent with a specific task or message, okay? 
When you're at home and you're like, oh, we forgot milk. And so you call your roommate or your friend or your spouse or whatever. And you're like, hey, can you get some milk? They become an apostolos, okay? They are sent on a specific task or with a specific message, okay? Jesus described himself this way. He said he, was, he is a sent one. His disciples are a sent one. Now, here's the deal. Jesus spent most of his time walking around on earth, uh, urging other people to come and to follow me, to live the way that I live. Jesus described himself as a sent one. He called his disciples a sent one. He said, come, follow me, live the way that I live. And when Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended, the rest of the New Testament writers pick up on this idea of following Jesus. In the letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth to follow in the example of Christ. In his letter to the Philippians, to the church in Philippi, the apostle Paul says that we should share in the same mindset as Christ. And in 1 Peter, a letter that we just spent some time this summer in, in chapter 2, the churches scattered across Asia Minor are encouraged to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. Okay? So if we are supposed to follow in the example of Christ, if we're supposed to share the same mindset as Christ, if we're supposed to follow in the same footsteps as Christ, and if Jesus said he's a sent one and he said his disciples are a sent one, what do you think that means for you and I? I'll tell you. We are sent ones. Each and every single one of us, each and every single one of you were sent into this world by God just as Jesus was with a specific task, with a message. Some very specific, some more general. But if you hear one thing and one thing only this morning, hear this. You have a mission in life. You have a mission in life. But many of us, we don't think this way. We don't act this way. We don't feel this way. Many of us at times feel like we've just been like dropped down into creation and we've got to figure out how to do stuff and how to live life and how to make things work. And for some of us, this sparks excitement. For some of us, it sparks dread. But for most of us, the result is this feeling that we have to spend the rest of our lives just trying to figure out how to entertain ourselves until we die. And it's a lot easier than it sounds, actually. Like, there's some of us who, we, we think that we know our mission, but we do the comparison game, and we compare our mission to that person's mission or to this person's mission, and we think, man, like, that feels pretty small and insignificant. Like, God, what's the point? And so instead, we find ourselves sort of shying away and, and uh, pushing down the significance of the roles that God has given us in our life. And instead, our minds are filled with negative self-talk. Others of us, we thought we knew our mission. And we've spent months chasing it. We've spent years chasing it. And it just feels like door after door after door is getting slammed in our face and we feel angry. We feel frustrated with ourselves. We feel angry with others. We feel angry with God. And so some of us, like, we're lashing out at others in anger. We're trying to punish people. We're trying to punish ourselves. We're trying to punish others. We're trying to punish God. And many of us feel isolated. And then there's some of us, we feel like, we have no idea 
what our purpose is, what our mission is, what our calling is, and we never have. Not in high school, not in college, not after college, not before you got that job or after you got that job, not before you bought that house, not after you bought that house, not before you got married or after you got married, not before you had kids or after you had kids. You have never felt like you knew your purpose. You have never felt like you knew your mission. You have never felt like you knew your calling, the people, the place, the thing that God has asked you to do. And so you detach, you distract with streaming and social media and this app or that app, or buying clothes, or buying gadgets, or whatever you can do to numb the feeling of purposelessness that you have. And then there are some of us, we sense that God has a mission for us. In fact, we think we maybe know what it is, but we did that thing, or we said that thing, and we could not possibly believe that God wants to use us, especially to do that. And so we deprive ourselves of self-care, we turn to alcohol, we turn to porn, we turn to eating, whatever we can do to punish ourselves and contribute to the lie that we've started to believe that that is what we actually deserve. And this last one I wrote for myself. There are some of us, we love our life. We love our life. We got a great job, we got a great house, or houses. I wish I had houses, but just one house for me. We got a great schedule. And the last thing that we want is for God to come barging into our lives with a mission that disrupts our disastrously wonderful West Michigan lives and takes away from my great job, or my great house, or my great schedule. A mission that might cost something. And so we find ourselves with our heads buried in the sand, convincing ourselves that our mission is to do the bare minimum for a God who wants the absolute maximum for our lives. I wrote that one for myself. This morning I bring good news. That the gifts and the passions, the experiences, the desires that you have been given are a gift from a God who loves you so much that he wants to take the world someplace and he wants you to join him in that work, to join him in this mission, this co-mission to bring heaven to earth. As Jesus said, so as you have sent me, so I have sent them into the world. You have a mission in life. And here's the even better news. Because I think some of us, like, we start to buy this. We start to want to live into this. But all of a sudden, we start to feel burden. We start to feel pressure. We start to feel this need to perform. And this is where the, the better news even comes in. Here's the better news. I already mentioned it once. You were not created for your mission. Your mission was created for you. And some of you guys are like, hey, man, nice little phrase. Like what you did with the words. Real kitschy. But if I'm not created to do something, then what am I created for? Well, the answer is actually like quite simple, I believe. It's like scattered throughout the pages of Scripture. In fact, Jesus in his prayer in John 17 says something that I think is one of the most clear examples of what we are created for. He says in John 17, verse 3, we'll have it on the screen. He says this. He's praying just with God the Father here. It's at the very beginning of this prayer, and he says this. Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now let me just say, when Jesus says this is eternal life, what Jesus is saying is like, yo, this is the end goal of the whole thing. 
Some commentators often say, I like what they say. They say eternal life, when Jesus refers to eternal life, it's not just a quantitative thing, it's also a qualitative thing. In other words, it's not just like Jesus saying, this is how long you're going to live, and after you die, this is what life's going to be like. No, what Jesus is saying is like, this is how you can live life here on earth. This is eternal life. This is the point of it, that you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That you know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Who was sent out of love and desire for you. Who lived and died and was resurrected to defeat sin and to establish God's kingdom here forever. And your mission is something that flows from that love, not for that love. We say something at TLC on Sunday mornings with our leadership and our volunteers Every Sunday morning at 8.15, we gather for prayer for the upcoming services, and almost always uh, Torin, sometimes somebody else, but mostly Torin, uh, he reminds our volunteers and our leaders with something, a little phrase. He says, you are not here to do something, you are here to be with someone. You are not here to do something, you are here to be with someone. It's just this simple reminder to our teams that, hey, while you might be here to serve some coffee or greet some guests or do kids ministry or whatever, you are primarily here because the almighty living God wants to meet you. And I don't think this is just the case for Sunday mornings. I think this is the case for our lives. Not that God doesn't want us to do things. Not that God doesn't want us to take our mission, but here's the deal. You can't give something that you haven't received. Like, I I played basketball growing up. I had hoop dreams, all right? If I was a foot and a half taller, oh, baby, I'd be in the NBA right now. (laughs) Most people, too. Anyway, um, here's the deal. Basketball, you know what happens when somebody passes you the ball, and if you try and make a move or do anything with the ball before you've actually caught it? You know what happens? You lose the ball, and then the other team gets the ball usually. Like, it's bad. You get yelled at. You get benched, and you don't go to the NBA. I'm speaking from experience. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) You can't give something that you haven't received. And sometimes I think with this future fruit stuff, sometimes I think with this mission stuff, we can get so pumped up. We can get so excited. We're like, I want to know what my mission is. I want to do my purpose. I want to do my calling. And yet Jesus is sitting here saying, this is eternal life. Don't forget about it, that you know the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. There's this thing called the, uh, the Westminster Catechism, which uh, is exactly as nerdy as it sounds, written hundreds of years ago, just addressing different questions. Pastors and theologians put it together. One of the, the first question that they ask, that they address in this like, document, this declaration, the first question they say is, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what's the point of this whole thing? What's the point of humanity? And I love the way that they phrase it. They say the chief end of man, the point of all of this, the point of humanity is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. To glorify God and to enjoy God forever. Your mission is just another spot. It's just another opportunity where God meets you and gives you the opportunity to glorify God and to enjoy God forever. And our hope is that over the course of this year, that we, as we ask for more and more of God, and God comes where God's wanted, 
And as we seek to shift our view of God as a God of scarcity and more of a God of abundance, that we'd be sitting here a year from now like that line of the matrix people who have received our mission and we stepped forward and we said, God, I know you. And if you say this is important, none of us are choosing to stay home. Amen? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to respond in worship this morning. We've got a, a song that we're going to sing. But as we move into this time of response, as we move into this worship, I want to invite a couple of different people forward to take a risk, a challenge by choice. Torin said this last week. As part of the risking the talents, a risk that we might take is coming forward to, to just kneel, to bow in obedience to God, to say, God, I need you, or even to receive prayer from one of our prayer team members, all right? So this is a risk. This is a challenge by choice. I'm aware of that, okay? But I know that there are a group of people that I'm extra sensitive to this morning, a group of people who feel like I have no idea what my purpose or my mission is. I have no idea what my calling is. Maybe I knew it in the past, but I just don't feel like I know it anymore. Or maybe I've just been on this long, long journey trying to figure out what my mission is or how my job fits into my mission. Whatever it is this morning, I want to invite, if you would like to seek more clarity on your mission this morning and this year, I want to invite you to come forward. As we respond in worship, I want to invite you to come forward, kneel down, stand, pray, do whatever you need to do. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you just as a way of saying, listen, like... I'm, I don't even know what the mission is, like those people in the matrix, right? But I'm stepping forward and I'm saying, God, if you say this is important, I ain't choosing to stay home. And I'm asking that you would just reveal what this mission is. If that's you, I just want to invite you to come forward this morning. The second group of people that I'm aware of that might be here this morning, that I just want to create space for you to, to come forward. I know it might be scary. You might be like, oh, I don't want to do this. If I do this, does everyone think that my life is falling apart? No. But there are some of us who need to, for the first time maybe, or maybe it's been a long time, and we just need to step back into this eternal life that Jesus offers. That we might know the only true God in Jesus Christ whom he sent for our sin. He lived a perfect life, died a death that we deserve so that we might have life and life to the full. And if that's you this morning, I just want to invite you to come forward. We have a prayer team that would love to pray with you. I'll be up here. Torrin's up here. We would love to talk and to pray with you, all right? So let's respond in worship this morning to a God who is so gracious that he has given us each a mission to join him in this co-mission of proclaiming that his kingdom is here. I'd love to invite you guys to bow your heads in prayer this morning as I read a prayer that I have prepared stealing some words from a, a lady named Natalie Runyon, something that was sent to me this week. I just want to pray over our church God, I thank you for the gift of our missions. The purpose, the calling that you have placed in each and every one of our lives. And this morning, I want to lift up our church and so many in it that find themselves doing holy work outside the safety of a sanctuary. We minister in classrooms and boardrooms. We serve the least of these People in our church whose sermons flow through lesson plans and medical reports, whose prayers are whispered over a scared patient or a frustrated coworker, and whose worship flows from their car during rush hour. God, I pray that you would protect the hearts and the minds of many in our church, that they would never believe that staying home with their babies or serving coffee in our community or bagging groceries or coaching isn't a part of your mission for their life.
That they would never believe that any of those things are not an an opportunity to join you in bringing heaven to earth. That they would never believe a lie that says that those things are not an opportunity to glorify you and to enjoy you forever. God, would you give us the imagination? Would you give us the courage to continue to see the ways and the opportunities and the invitations that you are placing in our life to step more into the mission that you have for us, even if it costs something, even if it makes us uncomfortable? Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, to you be the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.